didn't realize you met David Attenborough. Oh, yeah, years ago, but uh, we have the picture um, of the two of us in my kitchen. So I look at it when I need inspiration. Hello and welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast with me, Andrea Fox. This is an environmental podcast and we have reached the end of the series, which means this is the little roundup episode. We'll have some clips from some of the guests we've heard from in this series. And I've got an exclusive interview as well with actor and water aid ambassador, De Grace Scott. I know, someone with an IMDB on the podcast. How are you doing in the old sustainability stakes in lockdown three how's the pandemic created some extra waste in your house we've had a lot more stuff delivered than i think we've ever had in our lives i've definitely eaten more takeaway in 2021 than i have at any point in my life so far this pandemic is really hitting hard isn't it um pro tip as well get pizza as a takeaway because if you don't get too much mozzarella grease on that box it will be recyclable if you have got mozzarella grease on it chuck it in the bin Now, you will have heard us joking about the likelihood of getting David Attenborough on the podcast on this series. I think the closest we came was Dr Imogen Napper's story, uh, which you will have heard about her meeting David Attenborough. You'll have heard that little snippet of her voice at the very start of this podcast on where she keeps that David Attenborough picture now in the kitchen for inspo. But of course. Now, Dr Imogen Napper is a marine scientist focusing on plastic pollution. What is the sort of next thing that you think you might be working on, if you're able to tell us? Oh, it's, it's the life of a researcher. You're never <laughs> sure. And I absolutely love doing research. And exactly why I got into it is discovering the unknown and trying to use that research to educate others, including myself, and make positive changes. So looking at the sources of plastic is my real passion. So I'm going to be doing a little bit looking at COVID-19 and the amount of litter that we're producing compared to the amount of litter that we were producing and what kind of bits we're finding and working with some amazing charities in the next few months. So I'll definitely let you know. That's really interesting. I work uh, for a radio station in Milton Keynes and I think I saw a news article there. I've got a new green recycling scheme that... I think waste over Christmas in 2020 compared to past years was up like a third. So, oh yeah, which I, and I don't know whether that's just recycling or whether that's all waste. But um, yeah, I was like, oh, that's depressing. <laughs> I was like, oh, good. That's not probably one to hear at yeah, all. I was actually thinking about this the other day of just how accessible everything is, especially with things like Amazon Prime, that you can order something and then it's on your doorstep almost 12 hours later. I think some cities have it you can get it delivered in the day. And when I was, you know, 10 years old, I could never imagine anything like that. It was it's just so quick and everything's just becoming so easy and accessible, which is fantastic. But then we also need to consider the amount of waste that that could produce. Dr Imogen Napper there from our Plastic Plastic Everywhere episode. I think it's fair to say accessibility, great. Amazon as a company, bad. We have had a lot of stuff delivered here to the house. And apparently packaging companies have been hit with a cardboard shortage due to a combination of lockdown and Brexit. That's according to the CPI, which is the Confederation of Paper Industries, in case you didn't know. I wonder why they don't take away empty boxes with every package that they deliver. I'm sure that's unworkable, to be fair. Um, Now, lots of you suggested topics for this series on our Instagram, which is Age of Plastic Podcast. If you haven't already, give us a follow. One of those topics was finance, and we spoke to the fabulous Rebecca O'Connor 
about climate change and its effect on insurance. I wonder down the road if insurance companies are going to even insure those homes anymore and what will happen about that. Like that is a cost. And if the government has to step in and insure those homes somehow, that's a cost that then is on all of us, right? Yeah, that's true. And and that, you know, the insurance industry has been warning about uh, the impacts of climate change on flood risk for years. I remember when I first started out in journalism, like, 18 years ago uh, and receiving a press release about this and they have the the flood map and the risk zone and you know it's a really massive issue and uh, climate risk for insurance companies is huge and that you know that does feed through to consumers and not just in in the form of home insurance but other types of insurance too because it's a cost borne by the whole industry Um, you know, it gets worse every year. Um, and fl- flooding gets worse every year. And the, the fact that the government doesn't have very much money to invest in flood defences and to give the environment agency the money it needs um, means that it, it will become more of a problem. And, you know, we're building more houses. And we need to build um, as many as we can because house prices are so high so often that means building in areas that they wouldn't normally which can include flood risk areas mm-hmm. um, so you know there is an issue of kind of new homes being built in those places too um, if you're buying a house um, get a survey um, and you know be aware of that risk that um, homes built in areas that flood can can be uninsurable um and you know then if that flooding happens you bear the cost which can be huge obviously yeah tens of thousands of pounds yeah i was walking around um eel pie island in west london recently and we were pointing out the beautiful houses and like the doom and gloom uh, <laughs> environmentalist i am i was like they're beautiful but i'm sure in a couple of years they won't be able to get insurance <laughs> well do you know i uh, um we didn't go to see some houses when we moved to this one um six years ago because they were in a flood risk area down the road um uh, again acutely acutely aware of that and, and actually there was severe flooding last year in that area um as i saw from the train window and it did affect those houses so yeah it's it's it's, it's something that people haven't had to think about very much in the past but increasingly will do Sadly, of course, as we both discussed during that episode, that is from Can You Save the Planet With Your Bank Account? Weird that climate change has been an issue for years and it seems like only recently it's being taken more seriously. And interesting that point about, you know, the ballot box, essentially. Where are political parties spending their money versus where aren't they? Rubbish track and trace, for example, and maybe flood defences. Now, as we have got slightly political, here's more from our political guest this series, Sophie Howe, who is the Future Generations Commissioner for Wales. We're speaking on the day that here in England, uh, the cancellation of GCSEs and A-levels has been announced. And that's affecting people who, like you say, are not able to vote in the next election. They're going to have to wait before they can have their say politically. And it just really doesn't make sense, especially when you consider um, climate change as well. I wanted to go back to that manifesto because obviously you've got those 48 pledges in there. Is there anything that you personally are like this one's a toughie, this one's a tough sell, or this one's really ambitious, like in your personal, when you look at that list, you're like, I really hope for that one, but that could take a while. Um, there's there's quite a number of um, challenging uh, challenging ones in there. So um, the, 
and proposing a basic income. And that's growing a huge amount of momentum here in Wales, quite a number of our local authorities more recently um, voting to sort of lobby the government to, um, to introduce a basic income. And there's quite a movement uh, developing in Westminster around that as well, particularly in light of the, you know, the COVID crisis and, um, and, and so on. Um, we don't have the powers in Wales uh, to do that. Um, well, we do have that, but we could introduce a basic income, but it would be really difficult if we did not have the cooperation of the UK government in terms of how that aligns with the benefit system and, and, and so on. So that's a that's a tricky one. Um, I think that there's a political will here in Wales, but um, it will be very much dependent on, on where the UK government get to. And so far there, um, you know, the answer is um, the answer is no. But, you know, arguably the furlough scheme is a form of um, basic income. Income and you know who who of us thought that that would still be in place um you know almost a year on and so on so i think maybe that's um maybe that's shifting i think the concept of a national wellness system um, that i've been talking about so this is this focus on these wider determinants of health the things that make a real difference to um to health um i think it's exactly the right direction to go in but even before covid that's a difficult ask because we've got this real challenging position of We've got a lot of people with long term chronic conditions, which have been which are preventable um, conditions, but we basically haven't done anything to prevent them. You know, our obesity crisis is, you know, absolutely looming. So 26 percent of adult, uh, sorry, 58 uh, percent of adults overweight or obese and 26 percent of children. So. If we think about what that means in terms of long term health conditions and the impact that we're already seeing on the NHS now around surgery, around treatment, around those sorts of things, we're in this real difficult position where we're trying to meet increasing demand for treatment of preventable conditions, whilst also trying to get upstream of this and preventing the next generation um, being in an even um, in an even worse position. So that's where I think coming together of um, a range of different agencies is, is really important. And thinking about things like, actually, if we invest our money in public transport and active travel, that's actually a means of reducing the obesity, helping to reduce the obesity crisis as well, because you get people being more physically active. You make that a viable alternative than just using their car. If we think about what the education system looks like in terms of some of those issues, again, um, you know, loads um, that the education system can do. But I think nevertheless, it's still really difficult to shift from that, like, you know, really intense demand and managing that to this um, preventative um, preventative approach. And then I suppose the final area would be, we took, just mentioned GCSEs and, um, and A-levels. I've got, um, I've got one doing A-levels this year and one in the, the first year of um, GCSEs. My view on GCSEs is that they're not fit for the future. We are basically teaching kids to the test and you know all of the international evidence suggests that the sorts of skills that young people will need to thrive and when I say thrive I'm talking about not to just to get another job but to have a life well lived is cooperation, collaboration, emotional intelligence, um, critical thinking, um, you know all of those sort of softer skills if you like and 
um, we reformed our curriculum here in Wales um, a number of years ago and we've just done another reform which is really exciting but it basically kind of stops at the moment at age 14 and all of the gains that we I think we're likely to make around this you know focus on health and well-being and these you know softer skills um, and so on one of the one of the aims in our curriculum is to produce um, ethical and informed citizens that excites me and I think that's exactly where we should be going and and sometimes now even year nine and you know this is the curriculum not deviate from it um and we do not you know and whether you know it or not is is um tested in a in a two-hour exam um and, and that's it and i i don't think that that's right so i have been calling since 2018 for um the abolition of gcse's to replace them with more assessment based um teacher-based assessment um, and so it's interesting to see that covid has actually um brought that about i wouldn't have perhaps wanted it in the circumstances that it uh, that it has happened um but it provides an opportunity now for us to pause and say okay do we want to go back to gcse exams or do we want to look at doing something different sophie how from our episode leaving the world in a better place than you found it don't forget there are local elections coming up in may do make sure you are registered to vote And as Sophie mentioned, who would have chosen COVID? But the fact that the pandemic has brought climate changes to the forefront of people's minds and proved that we can change the way we do things and we can do it really quickly was something that was touched upon by my brilliant guests in the ITV and sustainability episode, Yulia Giannini and Phil Holgate. I think COVID was a really tangible, oh my gosh, this is affecting me now, whereas climate change like, Wow, that's huge. Wow, okay. I can't even think about that. And I, you know, put it back in the box and, uh, and move on. And on, a, on the wider business perspective, I think what is worth mentioning is that if you look at our, our full footprint at ITV, 2% of that footprint comes from what's called our scope one and two emissions, the emissions that we have like direct control over. So that's the energy that we use and those are the buildings that we, Only 2%. That we are occupied in. Only 2% mm. because 98% is sitting in our supply chain. So it's our products and services that we use. It's the business travel that we take. So it's all of the emissions that we don't actually have direct control of, but we influence because we're receiving that service and we're receiving that product. So the challenge that I would say that we have is just making sure that we are working with all of those thousands of suppliers who, you know, our business is built on them. We can't operate without their their services and without their, those products and making sure that they're coming on the journey with us and that we're being clear on the expectation of them and that we are pushing them in the direction that they need to go in and work with them to innovate, to find new solutions and just unlock those really interesting new options that we could explore to do things in a way that would be a lot lower impact. Completely. I think we've spoken to Amanda Keatley on uh, the podcast before who talks about sort of being like a plastic game changer in your um, working environment. And a lot of that has a knock-on effect, like you say, for those contractors down the line. So have you had quite good feedback on these sort of changes that you're trying to implement with all of those sort of outside sources that obviously come together to help us make the programmes we make? Um we're actually developing what that strategy looks like at the moment. So there's a lot of work that the procurement team are leading on, which looks at actually how do we 
change our requirements? What is the engagement that's going to be needed with those suppliers? On you know some of them it will be like a one-to-one basis if they're a really big supplier. There's a lot of emissions that they're creating on behalf of our business. Um, we really wanted to go in with a bespoke approach. But there are examples within our productions where there have been discussions being made and decisions being made um, to switch to, for example, um, electric and hybrid cars, even though sometimes that's not the most cost-effective option, but we know that that's the direction of travel, so we have to do it. From TV to the movies now, I got some time with War Trade Ambassador and movie star Doug Ray Scott. Now, he's been in Ever After, Mission Impossible and Enigma. Now, as the Mars NASA rover Perseverance took its little holiday snaps from the Red Planet and sent them back to Earth, will there be water there? Won't there be water there? Charity Water Aid have been using this to highlight that there are plenty of people right here on Earth without access to clean water. And I got some time with Doug Ray Scott to talk about it. The world's currently yeah. not meeting its target to provide clean water for all by 2030. So what's Water no. Aid's campaign aiming to do then? Well, it's to try and uh, continue the education program that uh, they've been conducting for years now and also to, to raise money for these communities, these countries, these developing countries that don't have access to clean water. One in 10 people in the world don't have clean water. One in four people don't have access to a decent toilet and 800 children die every day from diarrheal diseases caused by dirty water and poor sanitation. So you can see that the challenges are there in order to try and help provide clean water for these communities. Uh, it makes a huge difference to their, their lives. Every aspect of their lives have changed when you uh, are able to provide and uh, help get them clean water. So it's, um, it's a mission that uh, you know, I've been involved with for, for, for quite a few years now. I, I went to Mozambique in 2017 mm. and I saw the difference that uh, charities like Water can make to these communities. So it's, to, to, it's sort of as part of the conversation. Um, and I think you know, today is, is, is a good day to talk about it in terms of there's three separate missions to Mars to try and find signs of life and water. Um, and, you know, that's all well and good. But when you can find billions and billions of dollars in order to, to you know, to fund a trip to Mars to find signs of life and water, you know, we do have a water issue on our, in our very own world. And um, we need to address that because, as yeah. you said before, we're not going to alleviate these problems within the timeline that we hoped to, which was by 2030. So. We have to keep on banging the drum. We have to make people aware of the, the critical issues that these communities face and something that we take for granted, clean water. We turn the tap on, there it is. These communities don't have that. The women have to walk for miles quite often in order to sometimes get very, very dirty water, which puts the, the, the health of their children and themselves at risk. Uh, and then, you know, and also puts themselves at risk as well. So there's a massive problem that exists in the world. And, you know, we're in 2021. 20, There's lots of, uh, of money available throughout the world. We can definitely solve this problem, but we just haven't done it yet. So mm. we have to keep on talking about it until it's uh, eradicated. Yeah, one in 10 not having access to clean water, as you say, is, is yeah. such a high number, isn't it? And it's not yeah, just it um, like cholera and typhoid, but also now, as you say, we're talking 2021, you COVID. visited in 2017. It's a COVID issue, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, that's that's always something else that has come that has come up. So um, it's uh, you know people can think about it from that point of view. We can help uh, COVID spread by washing our hands in clean water every day, 
uh, these people don't have access to the, you know, to the hand sanitizers that we see around us all the time. So they rely on water, and if it's not clean, then the, you know, the 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 problem is is exacerbated. So um, yes, COVID has I highlighted the problem that these communities have with the lack of access to clean water. Yeah, and just going back to the video which you've already mentioned, their Water Aid campaign video, The Girl Who Built a Rocket, which is voiced by Sir Trevor MacDonald, it does focus on this contradiction that you've already brought up, this obsession that we have as humans with, is there water on Mars? Versus ignoring the communities around the world that don't have clean water right now. So what are your kind of thoughts on that contradiction and our obsession with what's going on on another planet? Listen, I understand why people want to go to Mars. I understand why people are obsessed with <clears throat> finding signs of life and water on Mars. But I think that uh, if we spend more money on 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 a, on a mission, which is really, you know, not going to change our world uh, in any significant way, I think if we spend more money on that than we do on funding uh, charities like WaterAid mm. and providing fiscal help these communities that need it then i think there's something dreadfully wrong um i think even people in our own country they're suffering in this pandemic you know you've seen the the problems that the kids have when they don't have proper school meals you know that's poverty that's we have poverty right on our doorstep and you know in places like flint and michigan they've had problems with clean water as well uh, but these developing countries it's a real issue and i think that if we can find billions and billions of dollars to fly to Mars, we can find billions of dollars in order to eradicate the problem of access to clean water in our own countries. You know, listen, when needs must, we provided a vaccine in the space of under a year for COVID. So when you put your mind to something, you can solve the problem. Uh, And so it's not uh, because we can't, it's because we choose not to as a world, as a community. That's something that we have to address and change. Completely. And that's where war trade's coming in. But where what can people do to support the water aid campaign at the moment where can they get more info they can go to wateraid.org and they can uh, donate money to the uh, to, to, to the charity and they can also <clears throat> get education about educate themselves about the, the problem that exists throughout the world uh, and that's you know that's a start and it always has to be part of the conversation i think everyone has to uh, you know be aware of the, uh, the discrepancies that exist within our world. And um, it's important, you know, we're all part of this. I think we have a collective responsibility to help people who are in this predicament. Yeah, I agree. I host a podcast about environmental issues called Age of Plastic. I think this obsession with bottled water when we have perfectly good clean water is, is another sort of one of those sort of strange contradictions. You I agree mentioned. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do always ask people, though, do you have like an environmental hero having been out to Mozambique and worked with WaterAid? Do you have anyone in your life you look up to environmentally? Um, I think, you know, so many people who are trying to draw mm. attention to the environmental issues, you know, after having gone to Mozambique, the heroes that I saw are the women who uh, are trying to keep their families together when quite often their children get ill, when they get ill but they have this unquenchable desire to provide for their families. And you look at the strength and the determination that exists within these communities who have nothing and who have, you know, who are faced with these enormous problems on a daily basis. And you kind of go, I've never seen anything more heroic in my life. So, you know, people like Grisinda and Florinda, who I met when I was in Mozambique, I guess you could say that they are incredibly heroic what what they do on a daily basis. 
Movie star Doug Ray Scott there, Wardrobe Ambassador, who is also starring in Batwoman, and apparently he makes his co-stars a lovely stew. He knows what he's talking about, though, doesn't he? Talking about food poverty here, talking about Flint, and you may remember us talking about these terrible pumps that did not work, known as a play pump. They were nothing to do with Wardrobe, in case you were wondering. Now, normally on these sort of roundup episodes, I share whether I've had like a good or a bad time of it. But I think during the pandemic, everything is a a little bit of a struggle. And I feel like not only have I mentioned takeaways, we did get deliveries to the house. They're not from Amazon. Does that matter? Probably not. Um, One of the other things, I absolutely crack, guys. Had a takeaway coffee once or twice. Not with a lid. I'm not mad. But still, got perfectly serviceable, reusable cup. When are they going to start using those again? (laughs) And other questions. If you would like to keep some accountability for yourself, please keep me accountable. Make sure you keep in touch on this little break between the series. You can get in touch with me on my Instagram. The Instagram for the podcast is Plastic. Find me on Twitter, Andrea underscore Fox. Or drop me an email. You can drop me an email through my website, iamandreafox.co.uk. The ways to get in touch with the podcast will all be in the show notes. Also get in touch if you have a guest suggestion or maybe just a topic that you'd absolutely love covered or a comment on the episode. I would absolutely love to hear from you. And a big thank you to some of our other guests who appeared on this series as well. Delivery refill service Charlie and also the brilliant author Georgina Wilson-Powell. Basically... We got everything into their episodes, short and snappy, great edit. I did have some audio issues, hence this episode is a little bit late. Please forgive me. My audio, with all the snippets, I saved them as I go through the series to make this end of episode uh, for you. And it got corrupted, which I've never had happen to me before in my whole career. I thought that only happened in like adverts for editing equipment. Anyway, my apologies. If you would like to come and say hi to me this weekend, I'm going to be doing an Instagram Live with a friend of mine. When I say this weekend, Saturday the 27th of February at midday, I'm going to be talking sustainable fashion and interviewing my friend Lily Rusubar, who is behind the fashion brand Beach Flamingo. So, yeah, we're talking all things sustainable fashion on her brand's Instagram account, which is Beach Flamingo. Check that out. It'll be live. It'll probably be saved if you happen to be busy this Saturday the 27th of February at midday whatever you are up to at the moment I hope you are doing well reach out and say hi I got nothing else to do let's be friends come chat to me until next time I hope that you keep safe and well wash your hands wear a mask and I hope your vaccine comes through very soon ciao